Can you say something? Hello. Yeah, I was last last Bible study we did that I think we went through John eleven on the Bible study server and um we were kinda of going through that that passage about or well the set of passages about raising Lazarus from the dead and I thought you know, I gave my comments then, but I thought this really needs um this really needs to have its own video about why I think that was the most major miracle Jesus performed, and not just because it was the last recorded one, but you know, for other reasons that I lay out in there. I don't think it was recording. It was recording me, but not you. Andrew K. said he can get the audio, which will work for me. I'll just do a uh, an overlay of the the Outpost logo I have. I'll just do an overlay of that with the audio underneath. That'll work. But, um... I'm recommitted to trying to do, now that i found that YouTube will let me schedule uploads, which wasn't available to me before, I guess you have to hit like at least 40 subscribers before you can do that. Um, I'm going to make as many videos as I can and then schedule the uploads. But it seems like it doesn't matter when I schedule them because I do one and then... PVK puts one out like 30 minutes later, and it's like, well, there went all the views for that one. Um, I think it's working now, although there are um, all I got, I'm trying to do two things at once. All I got is, uh, you're trying to do more videos. That's all I got out of that because I wasn't really listening as much as I should have been. Yeah. I'm trying to do more and then schedule the uploads through YouTube so that at least two to three a week come out. Maybe more than that. We'll see. Just depends on how many I can get recorded in a day and then start scheduling them. But the John 11 one struck me because it's like everything that happened there was just, you know, the raising Lazarus from the dead was, was just almost enough. But then you see that he flees and heads towards the wilderness 
or right outside the wilderness and stays there until it's time for the Passover. And this kind of, like I said, forces the hand of both Pilate and um, especially Caiaphas because now he's got the choice to make of arrest him now during Passover and try to hold his trial or wait. And there's some I don't think it's in John 11. It might be though. I'd have to I'd have to read back through it again to make sure. But um there's kind of some upheaval about it of do we do we arrest him now during this festival or not or do we wait? And you know, of course the decision is made that it can't wait. It has to be done now and that's because if if they wait, then Jesus can't be put to death because Pilate will leave after the festival's over, and that's the end of that. So then they're stuck trying to wait until Pilate comes back around for the next festival, and that's not that's not going to cut it for them. So you're saying that they, if they waited, what would happen? Well, okay, so Pilate is only in Jerusalem. I know everyone thinks that, you know, he's got a palace there, so he's there all the time. But he's actually only there for uh, Jewish festivals so that the peace gets kept and they don't get out of hand and don't start a revolt or a rebellion. So Pilate would show up in Jerusalem at the time of the festivals. And then he would leave. So Pilate's only there until the end of the Passover festival, and then he's gone. Like he'll be he'll be leaving again as soon as as the festival's over. So that's why Caiaphas, if he wants to see Jesus put to death, has to do it in that manner. He has to arrest him during the festival and not hold him in the stockades until the festival is over and then hold his trial. He has to hold his trial right before the festival so that Pilate can sentence him to death. Um, can you tell me a little bit about... I have, I'm not recording yet, but can you tell me a little bit about Passover? Um, because I know that's when they, they kind of... Don't they do fasting and then they make unleavened bread and then they have like a rites of a they have a ritual clean uh, cleanliness like uh what else about that All right so they fast beforehand and then they're made ceremonially clean and then they slay the passover lamb and and eat and that's also when they paint the lamb's blood above their doorpost. Just as they did back in Egypt at the time when the angel of death passed over their house if the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost. So they're, they're recreating that every single year just as God commanded them to do at this, at this festival, festival of the Passover. But only 
Caiaphas himself can officiate this this Passover festival. Only he he has to be ceremonially clean first, so that he can um, so that he can perform the cleansing process of everyone that's coming in. Is it kind of a harvest festival? No, they did this. Um, Again, they did this as a remembrance of how the angel of death passed over their house when the angel came through Egypt and killed all the firstborn. Um, if that if that lamb's blood was not on their doorpost, then the angel wouldn't pass over their house. I'm just wondering what time of year it is, because I know they have uh, festivals based on the calendar, too. Well, Passover is right before Easter. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I knew that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. But when you look at the calendar, you have Palm Sunday, you have Ash Wednesday, you have all these leading up to Easter, and then we have Easter. So. But see, when we get into Acts, you see um, Peter, I believe it's Acts 12, Peter is arrested right before the time of the Passover festival, and he's to be held in the stockades until the festival is over, and then he's going to be brought in for his trial. And that's when the angel comes and frees Peter while he's being held in the stockades at the temple. And he gets out because they decided that, well, we don't need to hold his trial during the Passover. Because they're not trying to put him to death at this point. That would be an axe. Yeah, let me look. I believe it's Acts 12. But, you know, don't quote me on that, because I could be wrong. Let's see. Oh, I was in Revelation getting ready for Sunday school. Uh, that is not what I need to be in. Acts, probably 12. Why don't you go back to Revelation? Acts. Yeah, 12.4. Right. He proceeded to arrest Peter too, so this is not um this is not the priest, but this is rather um Herod decides to arrest um to arrest him. And intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So the intention was to wait until Passover. Or excuse me, until after the Passover festival, then he was going to bring him out.
Are you talking, Richard? Because your thing is lit up green. Yeah, so really when you look through that, that's that's the whole beauty of that is um Jesus he he kind of pushed their buttons to the point that they had to put him to death at a time that uh that they shouldn't. Anyway, does anyone else have any thoughts on that?
Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, I can hear you now. Well, uh, it's working a little bit. Um, uh, I guess I can plug into the speakers. Hold on. Well, if not, I think Andrew said he's recording the audio, so. Yeah, I think it's working. Um, <clears throat> I'm not recording yet. Um, yeah, well, something happened. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, we're still talking about John 11. I was seeing if y'all had any other any other thoughts on the subject. Um, I would probably look at the other, at the same story in other books. I don't think the other ones give as much context as John does, though. Yeah, I don't know. I have an answer. I, I do like uh, dealing with the history, though. Um, I do like uh, searching how you search for the history of uh, certainly uh, what what Caiaphas was able to do politically, and just um, uh, you have to wonder why Jesus waited. Um, I would like to know more about uh, how many days he waited. Like you said, he was there for, he waited four days. And if he was a prophet, he would have waited three days. And I think uh, he kind of knew Lazarus would die, it seems. Oh, yeah. I mean, even though, well, I mean, he, he makes it explicit. He says it's not going to end in his death, which is true. I mean, technically, we know that he did die, but Jesus brought him back, so. Yeah, I, I would, um, if I was, you know, I, I really think uh, you're studying the right way and to look at the historical context and, and why these things had to occur in the order they did. And I think you're going towards um, this was his greatest miracle because nobody else performed that particular miracle. That's where you're kind of going for with your next video, right? Uh, yeah, with the one I just put up this morning. Yeah. That's how it's his greatest miracle is because it's the one that that is his trump card that shows... Um, you know, no other prophet has ever done this uh, that puts him in the category of not just a prophet. Yeah, well, hold up. I can uh, bring up the concordance here.
Or Bible Hub probably works just as well. This is an Acts 20. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. Yeah, it's not next 20. So is Lazarus even in Luke? I can't find it. And I can't find my um, parallel Bible thing. Uh, the raising of him from the dead? No, that is only found in John. In fact, I'm, I'm almost positive it's not. Uh, Lazarus is not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Well, uh, to tell your story, I mean, oh, okay, would you agree with this if I say it? The Lazarus thing is kind of the most politically charged miracle that Jesus did. Would you agree with that? Yes. It's, it's kind of like the most uh, politically, you would call it maybe a web, a web of politically, political intrigue. And it's kind of funny it's not in Luke.
because it's kind of complicated. Complicated politically. Yeah, I don't know if it was like... It's hard to tell if it was because the other three gospel writers didn't want to come close to touching that or if they didn't understand the gravity of the moment in the same way that John did. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Was John an original disciple? It's debatable. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was, but it's it's up for debate. Yeah, um, okay. I'll take that. Um, but, uh, John was written for, no, Matthew was written for, like, a Jewish audience, and then John was written for a Greek audience, but it wasn't. So was Luke, right? Correct. Am I there right? Okay. Correct. Yeah, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Just trying to figure out uh, who was John and why did he think it was important enough to include, or why would he? Why would he definitely, definitely put that in? When you look at John um, historically, it was most likely that he had the other three gospels in front of him, which which at that point would have been letters um, that he would have had the other three in front of him, and he's looking at them and going, okay, but you forgot this, and you forgot this, and you forgot this, so he's he's putting in the stories that um, that you might also find in the other three Gospels, but he's giving it his take on what it meant, and then he's also adding parts that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not put in there because he found them important, and I guess the other the other three didn't. Well, um, it's, it strikes me that it, he might not be one of the original apostles. And it, it would be interesting that maybe he included it because he wasn't one of the original apostles. Like you have uh, Thomas giving that... Well, the the thing from Thomas is kind of sounds like an eyewitness thing. I guess I don't know my Bible as well as I don't know. <laughs> I'm running at the limits of my ability here. Well, Thomas was most definitely there as an eyewitness. Now, Martha, that was uh, Mary's sister. 
and new, right? Yes, correct. So Mary and Martha, that means not Mary Magdalene. Right, that's a different Mary. And also the Lazarus isn't the beggar. It's a different Lazarus than the Lazarus in Luke. That would be the beggar, right? Also correct. This Lazarus probably would have been a man of uh, at least medium prominence. I wouldn't say high prominence, but it, at the very least of medium prominence. Because when Jesus travels to Bethany, it's at um, it's at his house that they that all of them stop and have a meal. So um, he would have been of at least medium prominence. So um, is Bethany close to Jerusalem? Like the is do you know anything about Lazarus's house at Bethany? Or I guess uh, Mary's Mary's living there too? Yeah, he shared the house with his two sisters and it was approximately two miles from Jerusalem. So wait, is La is Jesus related to Lazarus? No. Not in any way, shape, or form. Okay. What about the Joseph, do you think? Now it's highly possible he could have been related to Joseph. But I can't say that for sure because I don't know. This uh, Google says Bethany is a little bit further out than two miles, but that's on BibleJourney.org. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't care about the distance really. That's why I said approximately because John eleven does say it's like two miles, but then again, we're dealing with. The fact that it could have been a little bit more, and they just said two miles. The point is, it was close enough that um, that the people from Jerusalem came to Mary and Martha to grieve with them at the death of Lazarus. Yeah, the Wikipedia page is pretty good, but it kind of bugs me. It says narrative. I'm just not a huge fan of Wikipedia for a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, it, I, 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 it's like there's so much there. Um, I, it's so, so much there that I don't really want to, like, gives too much interpretation. It seems like there's so little information. I just don't want to build an argument on Lazarus. But I guess your thing was like, this is a miracle. This is one of the biggest miracles. I and I think you support it especially with the, the political analysis. And I thought that was really interesting. But it's just for the, the depth. It's like, oh, I'm so far out of my depth here. That's why I don't want to touch on it. And certainly the the historical Lazarus, I, you just really can't figure out who he is or, I mean... Certainly, I mean, what would help me is figure out why, what Jesus was thinking when he decided to go back to Judea, what he was thinking. That's what I would want to know, and I, I can't figure that out from this uh, John 11. Well, so he knows he can escape being caught at that time, but it's also this bringing Lazarus back from the dead has to be done. And he says it further or close to the beginning of the chapter when he says, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you might believe. So at this point, his disciples are still seeing him as a, as a teacher and a prophet, right? Even Mary, when she come or Martha, when she goes to tell Mary about the fact that he's, uh, that he's came and he's asked for her, she says, the teacher has has came and is asking for you. So at this point, they're still seeing him as just that, just a teacher and a prophet. And Jesus says, I'm fixing to go do this thing, and you're going to see who I am. Like, this is the ultimate trump card that he has. Like, nobody else can do this thing that I'm about to do, and it's going to make you believe. Why do you think he wept? Oh man, there's so many things about that. Like, I made a whole video on it, but that doesn't even exhaust it all. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I think... I kind of wish that we could agree because I think you're, or at least I'm at the limits of my understanding of what's going on because I don't know what, I don't know why you wept. And I kind of wish you were there with me, but like I said, I, I'm at the limits of my understanding. So that one little line is just like, it, I don't know. There's so much packed into that because it's like the weight and the gravity of of everything that did happen and is about to happen 
simultaneously is just it it causes him to show a strong emotion. Well, the whole uh, political thing, like you said, uh, where is this place? Bethany, it's outside Jerusalem. Like he's fighting the culture war. And I mean, this happens outside of Jerusalem, but it does happen in, is Bethany in Judea? I'm asking because I, I think this is kind of important. It happens outside of Jerusalem because you, ha you kind of have to think like Jerusalem is trying to do one thing and the provinces like uh, Bethany are trying to do something else. So in a way, it's like Jerusalem versus the rest of the country, Judah versus the rest of the country. And you have all this, these other threads going through it. That's how I, I would kind of... Uh, try to apply analysis, figure out where Bethany was. Are you talking? I can't hear you. Uh, so, Bethany, as close as it is to Jerusalem, you have to understand this is like a suburb of Jerusalem, if we want to use updated terms. So, this is like where middle class to slightly upper middle class people would live. And this is why um, this this story of them going to the house where Martha and Mary and Lazarus live to have a meal is important because he's at least of medium affluence. Actually, I think I read it wrong. Here, I pasted it in chat. I just found that.
I don't even know what it's saying. I can't even read what it just pasted. Jeez. Take out of there. That, put that back in your table right now. Yeah, that's a different Bethany um, according to what the text has versus what you just pasted. I, I think I've, I finally figured out how to read the text. The text was saying uh, Jesus was baptized near Bethany, but the baptism at Bethany is a different Bethany than where Lazarus lived, which, and Lazarus lived about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Correct. So this is an affluent suburb outside of Jerusalem. So that kind of puts to death uh, the the idea, or my idea, that Lazarus was kind of against against the the, the whole temple political stuff, right? I mean, oh yeah, Lazarus would have been for sure. He was. Um, he was not in that political system. Yeah, yeah. So what's the next video going to be about? Well, with any hope, it's going to be um, the adulteress that's brought to the well, and we see Jesus riding in the dust on the ground. No, I don't even know what he was writing. What was he writing? Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. There's... Um, there's a verse in, well, I'm not going to give away too much. I'm, all I'm going to say is there's a verse in Jeremiah that might give us a clue about what he was writing, but it might not. So. Let's just say it's possible that he was writing the individual sins of each man and the group into the dust. And Are you that's cooking why something? The, I am. I'm, I'm making something for my wee man. Um, and that's why the uh, that's why the importance of let he who's, who is out who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all start dropping their stones and walking away one by one starting with the eldest. So. I don't see how you're going to link those two together. Well, if he's writing down the individual sins of 
of each man, the eldest has the most sin, so... Well, what's the obvious connection between uh, the woman at the well and Jesus uh, saying, whoever casts the first stone, let him be free of sin? I guess you'll just have to wait till the video comes out, won't you? Yeah, yeah. Either that or I'll study. <laughs> well, yeah, sure, you can study it. I would never be against that. You know, I've been uh, doing a lot of computer stuff this week, and uh, it seems like once you once you try to do multiple things at once, everything just seems it's it's a miracle anything works at all. Because you know, when you when you try, start doing like a large kind of a it's it's kind of when you're doing two things at once, or if you're what you're doing is needs to be done absolutely correctly. Everything just gets so complicated. Like there's so many little moving parts. If you're going to do something correctly, it's just kind of ridiculous. And then my sound breaks while we're recording this. It's just, I mean, if you're doing like one thing, and you're doing one thing the same way and it doesn't have any other interactions with anything else it works but that doesn't seem to be my sound system right now i remember scott adams was saying something about sound he's been having sound problems and he has like soundboards and stuff, and he says, "Well, the thing is, uh, sounds the sound in the video, you can get them working, but something always breaks if you have like uh, if you're streaming to multiple services." And he's saying, "If it's if it's if it's complicated system, it's impossible for it to work two times in a row." That's his answer. And hopefully it hasn't broken yet because I'm not less, I'm not hearing Charlie respond, but I'm sure he's cooking. If it's a complicated system, it's surprising it works one time, let alone trying to make it work two times in a row. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't stop you from bargaining with God. People want to pray to God. They want, they want God's grace. They want to pray to God, and they don't want to wait. They want it now. 
never stopping to remember that it requires something on your part other than just praying about it. Most of the time it requires preparation and listening as well. Yeah, it was uh, Charles Stanley's sermon I was listening to. Yes, I guess might have been this. I think it was uh, last night. <sighs> I was listening to it because uh, of uh, sound problems. But anyway, his thing was that we have to, when we uh, stop faith in our life, we're kind of interrupting our walk with God. So if we s start our walk with God and then we stop it, and then we start our walk with God, then our prayer life isn't going to make much sense to God because God has is trying to go for he's trying to go for a, like a not a long plan, but he's trying to. God requires like basic things that work for everyone. So if we start and stop and start and stop, that's not really what God needs to make something work. This is very true. I also believe though that he's inclined to uh, take you up on your offer when you've started back up and use you until you decide that you want to stop that process. Really? How would you know that? I think we have some examples. I think God has, at least biblically, used quite a few people who are not the greatest and probably um, didn't end their life in the best way. Um, we have Cyrus, for example. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, Cyrus, I mean, um, I was trying to read a, a book on, oh, I can't even remember his name. The guy who been, built the second temple. I'm going to say Jeremiah. Does that sound right? Mm, Jeremiah was a prophet. No, it wasn't Jeremiah then. He was either a prophet or a bullfrog. The jury's still out on that one. It's Nehemiah. Does that sound right? And I know that song that you referenced. Oh, I was sure that you would. But yes, it's Nehemiah. He rebuilds the temple.
In a way, that's the, kind of the same thing because uh, Nehemiah, you know, the, building the temple, there were so many different ways that uh, building the temple could have gone wrong. And Nehemiah kind of had to do, Nehemiah was the leader, even though he was just, uh, I don't know what he was in like the Jewish political system. I don't know what he was. I don't know if he had any like role that way, but I guess he was just a, a rich guy who went back to Jerusalem and built, built the temple. But there were so many ways that could have gone wrong. If he would have done one thing wrong, I, th I think it would have killed the project. Or there were so many different things he had to do at the same time. Well, I mean, thankfully, that was a God-sanctioned and ordained thing that he did. Well, in the actual Bible, it goes through all the things that Nehemiah had to do. Because it wasn't just one thing. He didn't just show up and say, hey, it's temple building time. He had to do a lot of different stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. But then, you know, Romans take over, the place becomes Hellenized, the temple becomes uh, a place that has to be destroyed. You know, all that happens. And then we see the fall of Second Temple Judaism, and now it's more synagogue because they no longer have the temple. and all the things that happened after that. Well, that's not in the Bible, the fall of Second Temple Judaism, is it? Uh, no, it is not. Yeah, I think I asked you that before, a couple months ago. I think there's a squirrel here making some noise. I don't know what he's doing. Hold on. Well, it's a mystery. So, um, I guess, uh, what would, um, if you're rebuilding the church and rebuilding society, what would, um, and God ordained it, what would it look like? What would, how would you know that that work was what God ordained? Mm, the only answer I have for that is if it wasn't, then it would fail. And it might take a long time to fail. That's, that's the unfortunate problem with that.
Uh, I was hoping you had a better answer. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, though. In a way, uh, I kind of think that now that uh, Jesus Christ is—he's been raised from the dead once. I—I kind of think that people know should know better. People should—people have less excuse for getting this whole thing wrong. I don't think it's difficult as we humans make it out to be. I'm also not a huge into what building you go into because I don't think Jesus was. He said, we're two or three gathered together in my name there. I will be also. So church can be under a tree, in my opinion, as long as there's three or four of you there. Yeah, what's the mind of Christ about this ecumenical stuff? I think that was the question I kept thinking about on Discord a couple of weeks ago. I didn't really like the answer, though. I think uh, I was uh, plotting out a video this week. Um, it was about uh, it was about the concept of God and how theology. How theology can kind of take you away from the understanding God. To give Andrew credit, I think he's trying to bridge that gap, though, and get people to think less about the separation and more about the overlap that we have. I kind of think the separations are for good reason, though. Like, a lot of these things are pretty deep. I mean, there's separations that don't make any sense. And some of the separations are just... They're, they're there for really important reasons. And you can't just sort of paper over those things. Oh, sure. And I don't disagree there. But I think you still have to be able to have conversations with those people. You can't... You can't be you can't be such a walled garden outside of the walled garden that you can't have conversations with with Catholic or Orthodox or the bane of my existence, Calvinist. Like you've got to be able to have discussions with those people outside of the walled garden. And inside the walled garden your theology has wait, to be strong. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, what? Calvinists or what what are you saying about Calvinists? Well, considering the Southern Baptist Convention president is a Calvinist, I kind of have a problem with Calvinists. 
I don't agree with their theology. Well, um, I'll, if you actually, if you need a Calvinist to smack another Calvinist around, I'll, I'll be willing to do that because I've always, I'm always, ready, always ready to smack somebody around. I'm just saying. <laughs> I have a sus I have a strong suspicion he's not a he's not a Calvinist. He's just pretending to be. Because uh the thing there there's the actual like the there's the actual theological Calvinism and then there's there's like the abbreviation of it and the abbreviation is useful politically. I think you have a I have a strong suspicion he's just using the abbreviation. Kind of like a it's kind of like leftists use racism. They say, okay, if you don't believe this, you're a racist. And it's useful politically, but it doesn't really have anything to do with racism. It's more like all their enemies are racist just because, well, they're enemies. I kind of think he's using Calvinism the same way. Uh, well, I'm inclined to take him at his word if he says he is one. Well, maybe we should have more doubts, Charlie. I don't know. He says a lot of the same stuff PVK says, which is which is fine by me. I can have a conversation with <coughs> with Paul outside of the walled garden. But if he came into came in came into my church, I would challenge him on some of that theology. But outside of the church, meh, maybe not just, so much. I think you just piss him off because he's not a real Calvinist. That, well, that could be too. But I'm inclined to take him at his word when he says he is one. It's like if you want to piss off a leftist, ask him, ask them to explain racism, and then they'll figure out that they can't. It really pisses him off. I'll just say, oh, well, it's blah, blah, blah. I said leftist. I should have said someone who practices identity politics. All right, gentlemen, I think I've expired what I have to say for the day. But it's been good. So, Andrew, if you wanted to stop the recording.